Welcome to Bible study. We're glad you're here. <laughs> Welcome, Chris. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. Let's start our time in prayer. Father, thanks for uh, just this time to meet and hear from you. We ask that you would lead us, guide us. Pray we'd have open hearts and open minds to receive what you want to do, what you want to say. Thanks for your presence. We've gathered in your name, and we ask that we'd have open ears and hearts and minds to really receive what you want to say tonight. So have your way. Uh, we're here to receive from you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Numbers chapter 33. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table here, there or wherever, they're on the tables, and available for use, Numbers 33. While you're turning, just a quick reminder uh, for our podcast listeners, we have an interactive feature uh, as part of our Bible study. It's through a website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. And uh, when you get there, there is a button to toggle. You can leave us a message, what would look like a voicemail, and it could be a question, a comment. It could be just saying hi, letting us know where you're from, uh, but we'd love to hear from you, and we'll do our best to play that during one of our meetings. So take advantage of that. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you might have. Numbers 33, and I need a volunteer to read verses 55 and 56. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live. And then I will do to you what I plan to do to you. All right, thanks for reading that. Doesn't that sound awful? Yes. That sounds really awful. I mean, the barbs in your eye thing? And so yeah, I want you to think about that because they're drawing a word picture for you, the writer is, of, of a really sensitive part of your body and, and the effect that that could have on that. And when I read that, I was reminded of a story from hiking. Uh, the old guy that I hike with, and I, I refer to him as the old guy, but I refer to him to his face as the old guy. And to most of you, that's kind of funny. I'd refer to somebody as an old guy, but he's a lot older than me. And uh, so he's well into his 70s, and he is still hiking the 46 regularly. He goes twice a week. He uh, skis at Gore uh, during all winter, at least once or twice a week. He's super active. But he told me a story one time. We were doing some winter hiking, and it was about one of his friends, who was also an older man, who had been out winter hiking, and as he was coming down the mountain, he had uh, hit his face into a tree branch. And there are these little 
nubs on the tree branch in the wintertime specifically, they get really hard in the wintertime. And as it was, those nubs poked him right in the eyes. And so he was functionally, at least partially, blind for the rest of the way down. So he had to kind of feel his way down. He knew the trail pretty well. He'd, he'd done, he's a seasoned hiker, but he pretty much had to feel his way out of there. He didn't suffer any permanent damage, but for the next few hours, he really couldn't see. It was toward the end of the day. And I was just thinking, how awful would that be? You have something like that happen, especially by yourself in the Adirondacks on a winter hike. I mean, it's cold, it's getting dark. You can't see anyway, and your pace is so slow because you're just trying to stay on the trail. So uh, I was reminded of that when I read this, like, wow, that's terrible. And this really painting a terrible word picture. So what's he talking about? That's what we want to look at. Why does he say that? Why, you know, what's so awful? Well, what's so awful? It starts off with the idea of choices. And I want you to think of choices in life. And we all make our choices. Uh, you can put that to anything. You think about all the choices you make every single day. You choose what you eat, right? You choose when you go to bed at night. I know we like to blame other things, but really a lot of things come down to our choices. It's like when I, I'm really tired in the morning. I hate Mondays. Well, when did you go to bed on Sunday? I don't know. You know, I can't answer that question. I mean, I don't like Mondays specifically, but... Yeah, or, but that doesn't mean that it was anything other than me deciding to go to bed later than I should have. Or me deciding that I wanted to stay up and do something else. Or I wanted to see football highlights. Or I wanted to see the end of the game. Or I was watching baseball. Or whatever was happening, happened to be happening that Sunday night. There was, I made my choices and that was it. Uh, I made my choices about what I eat. You know, if I, I get up in the morning and I test my sugar in the morning and it's over whatever it's over. You know, I can directly normally relate that back to some choice I made the night before about what I was eating. Or if I don't feel good, my stomach's kind of rumbly. A lot of times I can trace that back to a specific choice that I made of something that I ate that doesn't agree with me. Or something that I drank that didn't agree with me or whatever. Not always, but a lot of times you can. And and so choices have an effect on us. Whether we want to look at it that way or not, they just do. And we need to be aware of that and make our decisions, but make our decisions in an informed manner. So what God was doing with his people here was that he was informing them of what their choices would lead to. That's what he wanted them to know, so they could make an informed decision about what they were going to do. And so firstly, I think that's really kind of a neat part of our relationship with God is that we still have a choice. Kind of a neat part of our relationship with God is that we're not some kind of, well, you're going to do this. You know, it's not like that. We have choices to make. We have decisions to make. And we have, there are consequences to those decisions, just like everything else in life. And it's interesting that God would take some time through his servant here to speak to the people and say, okay, well, here's the consequences. Here's what's going to happen. Here's your choices. So make your choices. And we know that, and kind of interestingly, in this case, they made a, a negative choice. The people did. And they suffered the consequences of that choice. And so this is a great example of that. It's a great example of people who were given a choice, and they understood the consequences of the choice, 
And they made that choice and then suffered the consequences of the choice because that's how it works. And so, choices. So what, kind of, what, things, what kind of things affect our choices? You tell me. What might affect your choice? Hmm? Mood. Mood, like what? Yeah. Angry? Being angry affect your choices? Sure. Who? Um, oh, I see what you mean. Like it, that he's talking to them about. Uh, he's telling them you need to remove these people. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying Okay. Yeah. Personal relationships. Yeah, we're influenced by people that we know, people that we see, people that we care about, or that care we perceive care about us, or whatever. Sure. Emotions. Relationships, what else? Money. Money, yeah. Like, that can affect a lot of decisions in our life. It, it just does. And, we, you know, as much as you want, or as much as people want to live above that, well, we don't really. I mean, we, we hope to, and we aspire to, at least some of us do, but a lot of times that comes in as factors in pretty strongly into our decision making about what we're going to do or what we're not going to do. And a lot, along with money, things like greed can, yeah. Okay, some other things that affect our choices. What are some other things? Pride. Pride can affect our choices, of course. Trust. Time's a huge factor. Things that if you don't perceive you have the time, you make certain choices or not. Uh, helping others. For example, yeah. so you know, as you think about where we come from, who we are, uh, I think honestly, there are a lot of things that do affect our choices and affect whether or not we're going to move forward. Somebody read James four four. Okay, kind of a straightforward statement from James uh, as far as, <clears throat> and you have to look and see what he would interpret as the world. Um, and this is a mistake I think people make quite a bit as far as what we're going to look at as that. Because obviously God has placed us here as his ambassadors. And so as his ambassadors, we're called into friendship uh, with people. Uh, we are called into relationship with people. Uh, and those aren't really the issues that are being brought up in James, as far as I'm concerned. What I see being brought up in James has to do with what affects our decisions, what affects our lives, what we allow to affect our lives, what we allow to dictate to us who we are or not. And so I see it more as uh, that type of a position uh, in our heart, the Bible talks about the heart as being deceptive above all things and who can know it. And that's part of the deception of the heart is that I don't know that we really even understand ourselves in ways that I believe God would have us to understand. He's the one that knows. He's the one that tells. He's the one that has an understanding of who we are. 
And so it's his revelation in us that begins to reveal, show, and teach us the answers to those kind of questions. God gives us his word. He gave them his word. And his word to them was an instruction for them to do something. And for our lives, he gives us counsel. He gives us leading, direction, command. He gives us freedom, favor, deliverance. His word means something. And if we allow his word to mean something in our lives, then it could be a directional for us. It could be a, a, a kind of beacon for us to follow. I look at his word as something more than just what's written on a page. But his word is living and powerful. It's dynamic. And it can be a comfort. It can be something that brings uh, freedom into our lives. I, I think of times in my life where you know, I've felt completely overwhelmed. Or times in my life where I felt like there, I didn't have anywhere to turn. And a word in season. And that, what do I mean by that? I mean that's something that I read in the Bible or something that someone spoke to me or something I heard in a teaching. But it was a word at a time when I needed to hear that word. And it may have been unexpected. It may have been something that I wouldn't have thought of on my own. But it was a word in season in the moment that brought a clarity to a situation that wasn't clear at all. And that's... Something that God's willing to do in our life. Because that word is for the best. And a lot of times we, don't, we can't see that. A lot of times we, we judge something before. We even really give an opportunity to see God's word as the best. We have some verses for you. Um, Matthew 4, 4. There's going to be a number of these, so you feel free to... Turn to whichever one you want. Matthew 4, 4, Psalm 119, 105. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. I'll give you three. A couple more after that. Anybody have Matthew 4, 4? Alright. So the spiritual dynamic to our life that's real. It's not just a physical dynamic. It's not just something that we can necessarily physically touch, physically taste, physically hear or see. But there's a spiritual dynamic to our lives that's important. So we can't just live by the physical, but there's a spiritual side to things that we need to take into account. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Thanks. Leading and guiding. 1 Corinthians one eighteen. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Hmm. Okay. Now, that's an interesting verse because there's a theme. As I was just writing some of these down, there's a theme to that. In that, the message of the cross, something that uh, it's just part and parcel with the gospel as to the work of Jesus, what he's done, who he is, and that very message of the cross is foolishness 
to some. And it has been that way, it is that way, it'll be that way. And so there's a certain element of faith that comes into play as far as if that's going to make any sense in our lives. Because without that faith, I don't know how that makes any sense. Before I was a Christian, I don't know that it made any sense to me. That a man who dies as a criminal, a criminal death, is the savior of the world. That a necessary component of salvation, a necessary component of the work that he was going to do was death. That death brings life. And so I, I listen even to those type statements that are made, and I don't know that they would necessarily make any sense to me. And so there comes an element of faith, there comes an element of revelation to that, that I think that this verse alludes to, that we need. Got two more verses for you. Hebrews uh, 4, 12 and 13. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, and 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Let's start with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Okay. In Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. All right, thank you. So if we choose to obey, and, and this is the message to them, to the people there that day, if you choose to obey, all good, okay? You're good. That's, that's fine. And he had his message for them, what they were supposed to do. And they, the privilege that they faced was that they could be delivered from whatever was in the way. Now, they... This is historical, so they literally had something standing before them. Uh, they had uh, historically, if you know the story, they had been given a land. Uh, their forefather had been given a land, Abraham, and they had settled in that land. And there came a famine, and they had gone to Egypt. And so the people of Israel had grown in Egypt in the land of Goshen and had been enslaved by the Egyptians. And so Moses was Moses came as a deliverer and he led the people across the wilderness and back to this land. And so the instruction that they were receiving in this land was this is how you're to proceed. And so they were given a certain a specific instruction on how to proceed. And so the word to them was, okay, if you obey this instruction, all good. And the promise to them was a deliverance from what stood in the way. And, and you could see that in a bunch of different ways. There was literally a people that were there, but there were also certain things that those people represented. There were certain ways of life. There were certain religions that they represented. There were certain things that were counter to the things that God's people were taught at that time. 
And so they represented all of those type. Thanks for coming. There, there were there was they represented all of those certain types of issues that were going to be coming up. So as they were uh, in the way, obedience in this case was something that was going to deliver or going to bring a freedom to them from all of the people that were in this land. Now. Think about, as we were talking about this before and going through this story, the original spies that went to the land, they saw all these people that were there and they were afraid. They were scared. And their, their fear resulted in the children of Israel having to wander in the wilderness for 40 more years. But if you think about, well, what would produce that kind of fear? Well, they saw huge cities. They saw fortified cities. They saw a people that some of them they described as giants. They, they saw something that they were completely intimidated by. And 10 out of 12 of them came back with a negative report saying that we're going to be defeated if we go there. Two of them came back with a good report and said, hey, if we go in, we'll surely take the land. Let's go. Let's go. And so, it, but the people wouldn't listen to the two. They listened to the 10 and rejected the timing of God, rejected the word of God, rejected what God had said was going to happen, and were sent back into the wilderness for that generation to die off. And after 40 years, they died off, or 38 years, they died off, and then they were coming back again. And this is going to be the time we're going to take the, they're going to take this land now. They're going to take hold of the promise that God had given them. And so they came back to the land, and God gave him a choice. He said, this is what I have for you to do. I want you to drive these people out. I want you to kill them. I want you to drive them out. And if you take care of business, everything's going to be great. That's what he's told them. If you take care of business, everything's going to be great. But if you leave them in the land, there's going to be problems. And so I want you to think about this in terms of obedience. If you choose to obey what God says... And, and we're just applying this to our lives, all right? We're not going to take a land. You know, you know we're, not, we're not going to Madison County. We're not taking Madison County, okay? It's not. This is you. This is me, okay? This is our lives. And I want you to think about your life in terms of all those things. Remember what I said? What could be hindering us from making the right choices? Well, think about those things in terms of the enemy. I want you to think about pride in terms of the enemy. I want you to think about laziness in terms of the enemy. I want you to think about fear in terms of the enemy or cowardice, slothfulness, uh, whatever. Your temper, your desires. All of those things that remain in our heart over time. All those things that are part of a, a disposition in us that tends toward evil. I want you to see that as enemies that are internal and not nobody to blame. Like I'm not, now the devil made me do it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the enemy that's in you that we've allowed to remain from when? From when we became Christians. And God doesn't, we don't change everything all at once. There were certain things that I continued to do after I, I knew Jesus that I don't do now. Because over time, God spoke to me about those things and those things changed. Because I had to make decisions, and I had to say, I don't want this anymore. And in, in, in terms of this kind of a story here, that we're driving it out of our life. 
We don't want it anymore. We're rejecting it. We're saying no more to that. There were certain influences in my life that needed to change, and I just had to say no more. There were certain people that were part of my life at that time that I had to cut things off with. Because every time I got together with them, I did something stupid or even dumber than I did the last time I was with them. And so that just had to stop. And, and over time, I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, this isn't working out. Cool guy. I like being around him. And it's funny and it's fun, but not worth it. And so I stopped. And I made those kinds of decisions. And so this is, those, that, that type of an idea is what I want you to see here. That type of an idea is that we, we come to this place and we can stand and we can look and we can say, okay, well, this is what's standing in between us and what? What God has for us. What does he have for us? Whatever he said. What does God have for you? It's what he's told you. It's the vision that he's given you. It's the, the call that he's put on your life. And, and, and that could be as general as you want or as specific as you want. There's certain things in the Bible that he says that are ours. Seek first the kingdom as righteousness. All these things will be added to you. You know, he sets a guard around your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That the, he says peace over you. He says rest. He says joy. He says freedom over you. He says healing over you. There's things that God speaks to us. Forgiveness, life. Things that, that cleansing, that he speaks over every single one of us that we can enter more fully into. And so even if you don't have a specific word that says, oh yeah, you know, God says I'm going to be this or that, or God says that this is what my life is going to be. Even if you don't have a specific word like that, there's certain things that God just speaks in, in to all of us. Certain parts that he, he, of our life that, that he wants to affect, that he wants us to live a certain way. He doesn't want us to live in guilt. He doesn't want us to live under condemnation. He doesn't want us to live in, in, in under bondage to anything, to anything. And that's for everybody. He wants us to live in forgiveness and grace and mercy, but that's for everybody. He wants us to live in love. That's for everybody. You don't need a special word for you to receive that. That's for you and for me and for all of us. It really is. So, if we choose to obey, that's what leads us to that place. But if we choose to partially obey, because you wouldn't be here, and I, I want to say this, you wouldn't be here if you just decide you didn't want to obey at all. all right? That's not normally the attitude of the church goer. It isn't, well, I don't care, I'm not going to do this at all. If you thought that, you wouldn't be here, okay? You just wouldn't be here right now. And so you would make a different decision because you don't care. You're here because you, there's probably something in you that's saying, yeah, I want to obey, I want all that stuff that God says. I, I, I really want to be closer to him or I want to walk in his love or I want to be this type or that type of a person, whatever that is that he says in his word that you can be. And so there's some motivation in you, there's some desire in you toward obedience. There really is. And so the real issue isn't we're obeying or we're not obeying as far as just doing our own thing. The real issue is obedience or partial obedience because that was their issue too. 
You see, these people, they partially obeyed. <laughs> because God said, you drive all these people out and everything's good. Well, they drove some of them out. Okay? And some of them they didn't drive out. So they partially obeyed what God said. Is that partial obedience to, I got some of them, God. All right. Well, this is the problem. Because he pronounces and he says that the issue here is that these people that you leave there, the partial obedience, what that produces in your life is going to be a continual source of trouble for you. That's what it's going to be. That as much as you're going to allow these people to stay in the land, as much as you're going to allow these people to come into this land and stay there and you're not going to drive them out or, or you're not going to eliminate them, however that was going to take place, this will be a continual source of trouble for you. And he describes it like this. It's like needles in your eyes or thorns in your side. So you're taking hold of some tender areas and, you're just, and he's describing really bad things that happen to these tender areas. Now most of you know, uh, I had a story back when I was in third grade. I uh, accidentally stuck a pencil in my eye. And that's pretty gross because it bled. You know, your eye can bleed. Yeah, so I poked a hole in my eye with a pencil, and it bled. It didn't shrivel up, because they can shrivel up. But it didn't shrivel up, it just bled. All right? And so then I, they had to take me to the hospital, and I was in the hospital immobilized. My head was completely immobilized with sandbags and stuff for over two weeks as a third grader. And then... I had to wear an eye patch for six to nine months. I can't remember how long it was. Which sounds cool, but wasn't. There was nothing cool about it. Did you have a parrot? No. It was cool on like the first day. Yeah. Well, see, what happened was, though. Now, here's what happened. You ready? So, the, the, the ophthalmologist, uh, the surgeon the optical surgeon, decided not to do surgery. So he let it heal on its own because he thought the scar would be greater if he sutured it than if he just let it heal on its own. Okay. This is at the University of Georgia. So uh, so they let it go, and it, they put the patch on, and I, could, I couldn't do anything really. I, had to, I was excused from gym class and all this stuff. I still had to go to school. So what happened was over time, then I'd have to go back to the doctor every two weeks. And they'd shine that really bright light in my eye. I hate that to this day. And they would tell me, oh, you know, it's healing up good. I still couldn't see anything, but it was healing up good. My, my vision out of that eye was 2,400. 20 slash 400. All right. And, and Patrick's like, wow, you could see good. <laughs> That's legally blind. I mean, yeah, yeah. And so I have my, my not cool eye patch, 
on at school and was like that for months trying to read the blackboard and take notes and do everything I was supposed to do and read my books and all the rest of stuff that I had to do during that time. Well, over that time, my other eye, my left eye, weakened from straining it. Okay? So they took the patch off, right, after however many months it was, and my vision in the eye with the scar on it had come back to the point it was better than the vision in my good eye. And it is to this day. Now, once they took the patch off, the uh, degeneration in this eye stopped. And this eye got no worse either. And so my eyesight doesn't really get any worse. It's just not good. Right? Right. And so I want, the only reason I'm telling you this is that a needle in your eye affects everything. Okay? That affects everything. It's a bad day. It's a bad month. It's a bad six months. It's a bad year. And it's affected my life for the last however many years it's been. 45 years. It's affected my life. That's the fruit of partial obedience. That's what it looks like. And that's the way it's described for us. Now, do I believe that it's always that obvious? I don't know. I think that if we really look at our lives, though, if we really examine our lives, that we can see that negative fruit in our life of what partial obedience produces. Because what it allows for, it allows for those parts of us that aren't so hot to still have a place in our decision making. It allows for those parts of us that still that aren't so good to have a place in our relationships. It allows for those parts that aren't so great to really take hold of our responses and who we are. Yeah. So we're human, we're not perfect, so don't we all really do a partial obedience or disobedience? Um that's a good question. I mean in some sort, I mean And I would ask another question with that. Because I can answer that question, honestly. But I'd ask another question with it. What does that mean, though? So if I said, well, yeah. Right? This is a process in our lives. And it is a process in our lives. Does that mean, though if it's not wholly and complete all at once, that we shouldn't engage the process. You follow what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. 
So I always have to be careful when, when you describe it like that because it is, that's true. But it's a process that we're going through. So maybe I look at my life and I decide, all right, I don't want to allow for, in my life, I don't want to allow for pride anymore. And so I'm going to make certain decisions in my life to eliminate that and to mitigate that in my relationships with others and the decisions that I'm making. I'm going to check it. And it takes a while to change a behavior. It takes a while to change an attitude. And it takes a while to create a new behavior in our life. And so it's something that we have to think about And it's something that we have to put effort into. And it's something that we have to make a decision on. But not just a one-time decision, but a daily decision until that behavior changes and we can take on something else. A different attitude, a different way of seeing things, and a different way of moving forward. In their case, there were like literally people there. And they allowed for certain people to stay when they shouldn't have allowed for that person to stay at all. And there are probably times in our life where God went to deal with something in us and we decided we weren't going to deal with it for whatever reason. That it wasn't convenient, we didn't have the time, we didn't want to take the effort, something we liked about ourselves, whatever it was, I have no idea. All right, I have no idea what the answer to that is like as to why we didn't take care of it when it came up, but we just didn't. And so it remains. It just remains. You know, there's certain things that we may look at in our life as a strength when really they're not. Because if you look at things that we think are strong compared to what Jesus declared was strong, uh, there's probably a huge difference between those two things. And so that's something that needs to be dealt with, that we decided we weren't going to deal with it and that we were just going to keep it because we thought we were stronger with that. You know, maybe we decide I'm going to be a, a, a cold-hearted person because that protects me from being hurt. You follow what I'm saying? And so we're unwilling to give up being cold-hearted because we're thinking that helps us to keep from getting hurt. Well, what does Jesus teach about that? What does Jesus teach about the hard heart, the cold heart? I mean, what does he teach about you know, the, the fear of being hurt and the concept of loving the other? I mean, he went as far as to say, love your enemies. Not just love the people around you, not just love your friends, not just love your family. He took it even a step further to loving your enemies. And if that's the case, what's he got to say about the cold heart and your worries about getting hurt? It probably was a bad decision on your part to hold on to that, to protect yourself. And you may need to make a different decision now. Because that thing that's still living in there is going to come back as this says, and be a source of trouble in your life. Because it will come up. And those are the things that we really need to examine. Those are the things that we really need to look at. And to say, what's going to keep coming up? Well, all those things. 
all those things that we held on to, all those things that we didn't deal with in the moment, all those things that we just let skate because we didn't want to do anything about it or it seemed too hard or it seemed to take too long or it's just easier just to do something else. It's always easier to do something else. Always. But the fact of the matter is, is that that path of least resistance or that, that ease or whatever it is that we're looking at that, that prevents us from really taking care of business, well, the fact of the matter is it's going to come back and hurt us over and over and over again. In fact, he, he talked about, you know, the, if you read these verses, what he said was, he said, the judgment that I had for these people, I'm going to put on you. And so they partially obeyed. But, and they reaped a partial a measure of judgment upon themselves because they partially obeyed. So instead of those people being driven out of the land, what happened eventually? Israel was driven out of the land. They were reaping that which they sowed. So a partial obedience is a sowing of a measure of judgment in our life. And that's just no good. No good. So me just stating it this way, okay, it seems, oh man, what kind of hope do we have? Well, I'm stating it a certain way because I want you to understand it that way. But the way I want to end this tonight is I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus who stands in between for us. Because we sow certain things by our decisions, or lack thereof. We sow into certain things in our lives because we don't take care of things when we should. We do. And there's a reaping process that takes place. That's a law of the universe. It's like gravity. Like every other law of the universe. It just happens. Nobody's fault, alright? Nobody, nobody, you can't look at it and say, wow, he's picking on me. Nope. No, if you jump off a building and you fall a few stories and you splat on the ground, nobody's picking on you. You understand that? You're not being picked out from among all of humanity that if, if somebody else jumped off the building, they would float down. They're not going to float down. They're not going to fly away. They're going to splat just like you did. Why? Because it's a law of the universe. That's why. Nobody's picking on you. It's just the way it is. You sowed that, and so you're going to reap it. You sow a tomato seed, you're going to reap a tomato plant. That's how it goes. And they'll make, produce fruit and make tomatoes. I don't care what you think's going to happen. You sow a tomato seed. I want cantaloupes. I really want cantaloupes. And for the next couple months, you just got your fingers crossed for cantaloupes. And you know what's going to come up? It's going to look like a tomato plant, but man, you might still be thinking, cantaloupes. I know it looks like a tomato plant. I'm going to go for the cantaloupe, though. Still hoping, still hoping that a tomato comes on the vine. It's a tomato. Oh, man. Nothing ever goes my way. Right? Nothing ever goes my way, man. whole universe is out to get me because I, I sowed a tomato seed and I'm getting a, I'm getting a tomato. Hmm. 
It's uh, what it is. So Jesus stands in the way. All right, He stands in between for us. And that's the important part of the gospel that I want to talk about tonight, is that Jesus stands in between for us. The fact of the matter of the gospel is this. The fact of the matter of our Savior is this. The fact of the matter of the cross is this. It's foolishness to everybody, except for us. Because what he did was, we sowed. We sowed. We sowed bad seed. And somebody's going to reap it. All right? That's the law of the universe. Not because the universe hates us. It just is what it is. Somebody's going to reap it. Jesus stands in between us and that. And he reaps it for us. That is the foolishness of the cross. Was the means by which he could stand in between us and what we've sowed. And reap it in our stead. And that is love. That's love. He took what he didn't deserve. He continues to take what he doesn't deserve. And we're still here. And so my encouragement to you tonight. Is just because he's standing in between. Don't keep sowing to that thing. Just don't. And if, you, if he was physically standing in front of you, reaping what you had sown, I bet you'd stop. I bet you would. If you saw what it costs to reap what you sow, I bet you'd stop. But because we're living in grace and mercy, we don't even have to think about it. But this is one of those nights where I just want you to think about it. I really do. I just want you to think about it. And let's stop sowing to that thing. And what this is really speaking to us about is not allowing for or not making excuse for a partial obedience in our life. But when something comes up, take care of it. And it'll come up again. Take care of it. Something we see that we didn't see before. Take care of it. Something that we uh, revealed to us that we had never understood before. Take care of it. Just take care of business. Because you know what? If these guys had taken care of business, they wouldn't have had the problems they had later on. They had hundreds and hundreds of years of problems because they didn't take care of business. We need to take care of business in our lives. We just do. And so I really want to encourage you toward that tonight. Let's take a few moments and respond. And just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to maybe prompt some things in your heart, maybe prompt some things in your mind about what needs to be taken care of. And so I encourage you to that. To allow for that. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we, we just take a moment to yield ourselves to you. 
We thank you tonight for a Savior who loves us so much that he intercedes both spiritually and and, and in really such a, a factual way in our life that there's been things that we have sown over the years that you reaped in our stead. And we want to say thanks for that. Then maybe we don't say thanks enough for that work, that foolish work on the cross that everybody else says is foolish, but we recognize as life-giving to us. So I want to say thanks. 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 We receive that kind of love tonight. We receive that kind of grace. We receive that kind of mercy tonight. I pray that as you would point some things out, that we'd make a decision needs to be made. That we would begin a process of eliminating things in our life that need to be eliminated. And I just ask you, Jesus, that you would take hold of the areas of our life that need some change. Point some things out. And I pray, Father, we just be responsive to you. Have your way, God. I pray for a courage to change. I pray for a, a courage to do what needs to be done. I pray, God, a commitment of the time and effort that's going to require to see change in our life, behaviors that need to change, attitudes that need to change, God, and that we'd invest the time that's necessary and the consistency that's necessary to see that happen, for new habits to be formed, new ways of living to be formed. And we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit to see it happen in us, God. Thanks. So, Father, tonight, uh, continue your work of revelation. Continue, God, your work of, of moving in our hearts and our lives, revealing, instructing, counseling, comforting, delivering, bringing freedom and liberty to us. I pray that we would respond appropriately to that. If we ask it in Jesus' name, let's agree by saying amen. 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 Bless you guys. Good to see you, everybody, tonight, and we'll see you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community dad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So 
episodes in Syracuse, New York to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah.